This summer, we've been covering who is the Holy Spirit. We've covered what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've covered the most essential work of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we still are today. We're talking about what is the work that the Holy Spirit does. And the, thing, the conclusion the Bible gives us for what is the most essential work the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit works salvation in people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Bringing people to God by His internal work. And today we're going to see the external work of the Holy Spirit. The visible work of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about regeneration. This heart work the Holy Spirit does in people. Regeneration, the effectual call the way the, the Holy Spirit draws people to God, to Jesus. And we've also no, 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 talked about, we've also talked about the, the way that the Holy Spirit works in our union with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us with Christ. Now those, most of those things I just mentioned are an internal, invisible work that the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of human beings. Today we're going to talk about, okay, what does it look like when it gets visible? What does it look like when people begin to actually in real time in the real world respond to the internal work of the Holy Spirit? We call that, the Bible calls that, conversion. The Bible calls it, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Conversion, or another way to ask it, what are the visible signs that we see when somebody becomes a Christian? Or in other words, what two essential elements are there that make a Christian. Like, water and light make a rainbow. There are two essential elements that make a Christian, that convert a Christian. We're going to talk about those today. We're going to dig deeply into those today. And we're going to do it in this way. I'm I'm going to exalt the work of the Holy Spirit in conversion, uh, which means a huge... Conversion just means a, a change, a huge change in someone... By showing that there are two essential ingredients to Christian conversion, I'll do so in the following ways today. Three, three, three things to write down. Number one, we're going to negate the non-essentials. That, that is, the non-essentials to becoming a Christian. The non-essentials to conversion. Then next, we're going to reveal repentance. And lastly, we're going to flash faith. You like that? I did a little, little alliteration. Thank you very much. But first, let's negate the non-essentials. We'll start with a verse from Matthew chapter 18. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. And he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word change is talking about conversion. It's talking about this idea of converting. This too is the work of the Holy Spirit. Conversion is the change that takes place in a person. And it's a change we actually see. It's a change of someone going from something to something else. From something to something else. Now, I want to start this morning, when we talk about what makes a real Christian, a true Christian, someone that that we would say is defined by the Bible as being a Christian, a true conversion. We first have to talk for just a moment about what the Bible calls temporary conversion, or counterfeit conversion. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. The Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about this fact that someone can look like they have become a Christian and not actually, it may not actually have happened. You can see some visible signs of it. There, and the way we see this is when Jesus, in chapter 13 of Matthew, talks about the fact that the Word of God is like a seed. It's like a farmer who went out and he was scattering his seed on the soil. 
Now some of the seed fell upon rocky ground, some of it fell upon fertile ground, some of it fell and was choked out by weeds. But his point when he talks about the seed is, the Word of God goes out and he said, some people will receive the Word and get really excited about it and get really joyful about God and about the Bible, but then the worries and the cares of this world will come and just twist it up and take it away. So it's possible for, for, there, for it to appear as though someone has been changed or has been converted or has become a Christian and that's not actually the case. It just appears that way. So next, the next thing is uh, what's called a counterfeit conversion. And now this is important for us to talk about because um, in our society a lot of things get called Christian, right? A lot of non-essential ingredients will be called Christian. Here's what I mean by this. There are things like psychology where people actually do change. Someone who sits in a psychologist's office, and these are great things that are happening. Great things. People grow. They learn new things about themselves. There's self-awareness, and they actually begin to make changes in their life. There's also, you may have seen, like these Christian versions of like sports drinks and diet programs, right? Where people get up and do their testimonies on these uh, commercials, and it's like, you know, I have, I used my faith and I combined it with XYZ product right here and I had major life change. You know, I, this, this was incredible. I lost, you know, 100 pounds with this particular whatever product it is. Okay, so, so there's going to be, there's the possibility of a lot of counterfeit conversion where someone claims I've had life change but it may not be biblical. It may not be Christian life change. It may just be yeah, I stopped doing some bad things and, and like started exercising, lost some weight or whatever it might be. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's Christian. Right? It's just, I changed some. The Bible's very clear though, there is a, there's, a, there's a Christian change or a Christian conversion that's very specific to the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life. It's very specific to the Holy Spirit's work. Now, real quickly, the key for us negating the non-essentials when it, comes to, when it comes to conversion or it comes to salvation. The key is to make sure we take out the variable elements. Okay? The variable elements are like this. Is somebody becoming a Christian, does it have to be oh, uh, like a one-time smash-bash thing or can it be something that's very gradual over time? Okay? The Bible makes it clear it can be, it can be either. So we, we have to be careful that we don't say for someone to be a Christian, they have to have had this really big, one-time, stood up and said, I love Jesus, or something along those lines. There's the, there, it can happen very gradually over time. It can happen very, in very small ways that someone just becomes closer to God, closer to the Lord, closer to Jesus. And also, it doesn't have to be dramatic. The Bible's very clear. There's, you look at Acts chapter 16, there's the Philippian jailer, who there's this very dramatic conversion where like the walls of the jail are shaken, and he's like, oh, I believe, I trust in God. And then there's Lydia in the same chapter, and she's this is very quiet, very peaceful, coming to, coming to know who God is, and coming to believe in the gospel, and real life change happening. So we have that, again, that's a variable element to conversion that is not essential. doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be like a one-time thing. You don't have to know the date. I know the date I was saved or whatever, which is fine if you do. It's totally cool if you do. I mean, it's a great thing, but it's not essential. 
Um, another thing that's not essential is what level of feelings must someone have to become a Christian? Do you have to, do you have to like, I now love God more than anything else in my life and I feel that every second of every day. Woo! Right? I mean, that's, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be present. We would say that scripturally. There's an, what level of feelings, right? So feelings are important. They are a part of the essentials, but they are not, they are not one of the two main essentials. Okay, it's a part of it. Feelings are a part of it. So we have to be careful. The reason I bring all this up is because the Christian church has a tendency to standardize what is variable. And to say, that's not legit, that's not legit, that's not legit. You're not, you're not really Christian because you didn't have what? X, Y, Z. You didn't have this this amazing you had a mountaintop experience or you, it, your feelings weren't involved. You didn't cry. So how can you call yourself a true Christian? Uh, so there's a sense of like, we have to be careful that we don't let the variable elements enter in. Or you cried, bingo, thank you. That's a great point. You cried too much and it, that's just an emotional experience you had at camp one time. Pfft, you're not actually a Christian, right? So we have to be careful of all those things. So our, our main verse we're going to stick with today as we look at the essentials what are the two essentials to Christian conversion that the Holy Spirit works in human beings? Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Paul is leaving the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, look at my life, look at my ministry, look at all these amazing things that God has done through me and in me. And here's the two things I want to leave you with, he says. Here's the two things I want to leave you with. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, this is, this is the essence of my message. This is at the center of my message to everyone, both Jews and Greeks. It doesn't matter. No matter what camp they were in, it doesn't matter what the belief system they started with, my essential message was repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. The two essentials of Christian conversion, the visible part of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Repentance and faith. Okay, let's define them though, right? I mean, you may have heard these words before, right? You've heard repentance, it's a churchy word. And you may have heard, you know, the real faith, saving faith. You know, I gotta have faith, faith, faith. I think there's a song about that. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean we understand what the Bible is talking about with these terms. Let's, let's do our best to dig into them this morning. First of all, essential number one, let's reveal repentance. Repentance, if you define it in the dictionary with Webster, you're going to get this, to think again or to think once more. But it's deeper than that because the Greek word metanoia takes it a step further. It means more than just to think again. It means to change our minds. That's repentance. To change our minds. The best illustration is Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32, and I'll read it for us. You're welcome to turn there if you're fast enough. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 to 32, is the best illustration of repentance given by Jesus. What do you think, verse 28, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, Go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, 
I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Which of the two did what his father wanted? Y'all can answer. Also. (laughs) Good. The first they answered, and we would say the same thing. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The first son repented. Right? So you see it there in verse 29. The son says, I will not. But later he changed his mind. And he went. The elements Jesus gives here about repentance, very important points about repentance, are three things. One, the son changed his mind. Two, he felt sorrow, and that's implied. It's implied that he felt sorrow, he regretted what he had said to his father, and now he acted upon it. And that's the third part. There's action. He changed his conduct. He actually went and worked in the vineyard. He didn't just say, you know, like, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I shouldn't have done, you know, I shouldn't have said no, I'm not going to go work. I'll just go to the beach for the rest of the day. He didn't feel the sorrow and then go to the beach the rest of the day. Right? He felt the sorrow. I've, I've made a wrong choice. I changed my mind. I am going to go take an action and I'm going to work in the vineyard. So that, that brings out the point about repentance. That it is, um, it is a work in our hearts and it's a work in our minds and it's a work in our will. It's very important. Repentance involves all of us. Full orbed. We are mind, we are heart, we are emotion, and we are will. Repentance involves all of them. It's not just a couple of the three. It's all, it's all of them. I mean, I, I think a good illustration for this is Charles Dickens' story of Scrooge. Uh, well, it's, that's not the name of the story. It's the Christmas Carol. But, but I think there is a movie called Scrooge no, that came out. Scrooged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scrooge. Sorry. Do you all know the story? Yes. Do you all know the story, right? So this, there's, this, there's this miserly bitter, you know, greedy old man. And it's, you know, it's Christmas and everybody's got jolly spirit. You know, he is just an ornery, you know, cuss that you wouldn't want to be around. And he's visited. He's visited by the ghost of Christmas. Yeah. And his mind cognitively realizes some things, doesn't it? Realizes like, whoa, I have been really cruel. His mind engages. Like, oh my goodness, I didn't know the guy who works for me had a crippled son. His mind engages these things. Then he's like, whoa, I'm looking at people at a funeral that are only there because they got paid to be there. Oh wait, that's, hold up, that's my funeral? Those people are at my funeral and the only reason they're there is because they got paid to be there? Whoa, like wake up call, ding, 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 lights going up. It's mind. But then he begins to feel it, right? He begins, to, he begins to feel compassion for Tiny Tim. He begins to feel sorrow that there would only be people at his funeral that were paid to be there. What kind of a person must I be? And he, and he actually, again, it's an allegory of repentance. And then what happens when he wakes up in the morning? What happens after these, these, these he nightmares? Change his mind. He changes his mind. He not only changes his mind, he changes his action. Yeah. 
he goes and he buys a huge turkey for Bob Cratchit's family. And he goes and he spreads Christmas cheer. And I don't know what version you've seen. If you've seen the Disney version, you know, he's like throwing money down the streets and buying presents for everybody who walks by. But there's an incredible joy. There's an incredible change. It, he has experienced repentance. Now, admittedly, those were the ghosts of Christmas past, but I think Dickens was showing this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy... I'm not, I'm not saying those ghosts are equivalent to the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm just saying the Holy Spirit does a work. And He begins to show us things. He begins to convict us of sin. And our minds engage it. And then our emotions feel it. And then we change our actions. Repentance. That is what repentance is. It is mind. It is heart. It is will. And with our mind being changed like that, we have a whole new view of other human beings. We have a whole new view of God. We have a whole new view of what the church is, what the church can do, what the church can be, what I can be, what I can do. It's, it's incredible. It's an entire turning. It's an entire new outlook on life. That is the kind of thing that happens in true repentance and Christian conversion. It's an entirely new look on life. Okay, so that's repentance. Repentance is, it involves the whole person, mind, emotion, will. Faith. Let's, look, let's, let's quickly dive into, let's flash faith for our third and final point. Let's flash faith. This is the second essential ingredient in conversion, which is the visible part of the Holy Spirit's work in a Christian's life. Just to redefine. I want to make sure that's in front of us. I know that's a lot. That's kind of wordy. But it's really important that we understand this, not only for ourselves, so that we can begin to understand, am I a Christian? Or we can begin to understand, you know, are the, is that person that I thought was a Christian a Christian? Or, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not meant to make you doubt. That's not the intent of understanding these things. It's not meant for doubt. It's meant for assurance. It's meant to give us encouragement and confirmation that the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work. Okay, so faith. Faith. What is true faith? What is saving faith? We have to start with what it is not. It's not something natural. Saving faith, biblical faith, the faith the Bible talks about, is not something natural. It's not like getting on an airplane and being like, I have faith that this airplane is going to get me from Charlottesville to Atlanta. Okay? It feels like faith, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know if you're like me or you're scared of flying. I'm scared of flying. It feels like faith. But the reality is, it's like getting in my car to go from point A to point B. The reality is, it's much closer to mathematical probability than it is to faith. Mathematically, it's probable that this plane is going to get off the ground. Because why? Because... I understand a little bit of the physics about it. Not much. I know enough. I know also that I've experientially seen a lot of people get on an airplane and a lot of people get to their destination very safely. So again, mathematical probability, the same is going to be true for me. Um, also, you know, I understand that you know, most of the time I don't read about plane wrecks in the newspaper. Although sometimes I do. But mathematical probability, this plane is going to get me where I need to go. That's not necessarily faith. It's not. I know that sounds weird, but because, again, it, we have to be careful that we're not going, the Christian faith is taking that kind of faith and just applying it to Jesus, right? 
I have faith in an airplane that it'll go off the gr- get off the ground. I have faith in Jesus. That's, it's, it's not one-to-one. The reason it's not one-to-one is because faith, saving faith, Christian faith, biblical faith, is not natural. You aren't just born with it. It's not natural. You aren't just born with it. We, let's look for... A good example would be like Abraham in the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Okay, so he's 99. Sarah's 90. Okay, their bodies are similar to ours. And God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And, and, and Abraham's like, yo, I don't have any kids. And God's like, trust me. Okay, that's faith. Faith is, <laughs> God is going to make me the father of many nations, even though I'm 99 and my wife is 90. And of course, we know from the biblical story, they had a son. It's hope against all hope. It's faith. It's trust in God, even when it doesn't look natural that it's going to happen. There's nothing about mathematical probability that they went, Abraham and Sarah were like, yeah, probably, you know, you know I'm 99, you know, it's very probable that I'm still very, you know, potent and this will probably happen. You know, I guarantee that was not the conversation they were having. In fact, we know from the biblical account that Sarah did what when she heard that they were going to have a child? She laughed. She's like, God can't do that. The origin of faith, and this is important for us to understand, the origin of faith from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace you are saved through faith, and that is a gift of God, so that no one can boast. The origin of faith, is a, it's a gift of God. It's given to us as a gift. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is teaching us. Now, what brings about that real biblical true faith, that gift of God? It's the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 17, explains that faith comes through hearing and hearing from the Word of God. That's Romans chapter 10. So faith is this thing. It's like belief, right? It's like belief. It includes belief. We actually assent to some truth. But it's more than that. I thought of several silly illustrations uh, to explain how it's more than just an assent to a certain truth. And the best one I could come up with, and I'm sure it fails on many points, but here we go. Have you ever seen the Walendas? Anybody ever seen the Walendas? They're this really famous tightrope walking family, and they're incredible. You've probably seen them on TV. They have YouTube videos. Uh, and Christy and I saw them one time when we were at... Um, Silver Dollar City, which is this hilarious kind of backwoods theme park in Missouri. <laughs> they had a show, and they walk on these tightropes at least 50 feet in the air. But they've done, if you look at YouTube, you know, they, they'll walk across chasms that are 300 feet deep or more. Hunter, I think you've seen the Walendas, haven't you? Yeah. It's a, group, it's a group of tight walkers. In fact, I think they were on America's Got Talent, but that's beside the point. Um, so it's one thing to say, yes, I believe, you know, Sally Walenda, I believe that she can walk across that tightrope. It's 100 feet long, the drop is 600 feet down, and yes, I believe that she can walk across that. Okay. Right, now, here's... Here's getting at a little closer to faith. Sally Walenda has a wheelbarrow. And she's going to walk across that tightrope. And she asks you, get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) Do you believe I can make it across? We might have a second thought about it. We might have a different answer. 
I believe you can walk across that. I don't know if I want to tr- entrust my life to that wheelbarrow as you walk me across. That's getting at faith. It's more than just, yes, I agree with those three points. They seem to be true. I agree that that is what the Bible teaches. It's saying, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to put my whole life into this. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in. I'm giving all. This is it. Like, I'm committing to this. Come what may. That is getting at saving faith. And we'll conclude with this. It's important as we get at saving faith. Saving faith includes also both the mind, the emotions, and the will. It's important that we understand faith has to be based upon something real. Okay, And there are some basics. So I'm going to run through the basics as we conclude. What are the basics to what we are to believe as Christians? What are the basics of the gospel? God is holy, righteous, and just. He's also merciful and full of grace. We are sinners and deserving His wrath and justice. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our idolatry, and because of our breaking of His law, we deserve punishment and death. And he, but He loves us and has provided a way of salvation, a way of forgiveness from sin, and freedom from punishment of death and hell. Jesus Christ is that way of salvation. His life, death, and resurrection have atoned for our sin and brought us back to God. Those are kind of the... I mean, I know that was really fast. But those are the basics of what we are actually putting our faith in. What we are committing ourselves to. The basics of the gospel. It's important that we understand that. Okay. So there we go. We have covered the essentials. The two essentials to what's called Christian conversion. Real life change. Repentance and faith. Now what's the point? We have to ask that question. What's the point? The point is, the point of all of it, we talked about it when we did the confession of sin, we did the assurance of pardon, the point is to reconcile us to God. Man, ultimately, in his natural state, men and women, are at enmity with God. In other words, they are at odds with God. And the saving work of Jesus Christ brings people back into relationship with God, back into a loving relationship with God, back into the most profound love, the most incredible depth of love that someone could ever experience on this earth or off this earth. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's called reconciliation in the second chapter, I mean the second book of Corinthians. Okay. I think the important thing for us to understand today, I, ho- I hope you can take this away with you as you go about your crazy week, this coming week. One of the important things for us to understand is that it's not like a fairy tale. How do fairy tales end? Yeah. The couple, the love story, whatever was in the fairy tale, and they lived... Right? Well, the reality is, in the Christian life, when the Holy Spirit has worked in someone's life, and there has been a conversion... It's a beginning of a process. It is not instant fix. And if you would call yourself a Christian, you may have experienced something along these lines. That yes, there is a moment when by the Holy Spirit you are brought into the kingdom, but then it's not like everything. 
I still sin. Right? It's a lifestyle. I remember there's an 80s show called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You guys are too young to... Have you heard of this? What? They, had, they would go in like these rich people's homes and they swag everywhere, you know, their yacht, their boat. You know, I'm calling this... It's R and F. It's the same same letters. Maybe you can remember this. Lifestyles of the repentant and faith filled. Thank you. Lifestyles of the repentant. It's a lifestyle. We don't just we didn't just have that one moment, that one point in our life where we repented and we believed we had faith. It is ongoing. We are consistently repenting and believing. And the gospel through that process is continually changing us in to a closer relationship with God and into Christ-likeness through that continual process. So I encourage you, even today, don't think, oh, that's this one, Nathan's talking about this one-time thing that happened a long time ago in my life. I guess I was, I was a teenager. It was, like, it was a year ago or whatever it is. It's a lifestyle where the gospel begins to work in us and on us and we become more like him. Because the reality is, we cons- our, as Calvin this, this theologian named John Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories. We're constantly being drawn away from God by what is shiny, what is money, what is job performance, what is uh, our kids, what is our, you know, our thinking we need another lover, thinking we need... We're constantly drawn away from God. And through repentance and faith, He is constantly bringing us back to Himself. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a lot. I know we've covered a lot today. But Lord, I pray that whatever is untrue, whatever is unbiblical, that you would wipe from our minds this morning. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your scripture, the truth of your salvation, would, would work powerfully in our lives, Lord. I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, among us who maybe has 